I just want to introduce to you uh, Sean Breeden, as I mentioned. Uh, he's a young man from Ann Arbor. He's a banker at Ann Arbor State Bank. I know you've got to have another Ann Arbor guy, sorry. Um, and he's married to a wonderful woman named Lexi, and they have three children. And uh, he really is a brother who I've come to know and love, and I'm, I felt like the Lord told me to come, you know, come alongside this guy because the Lord's put a lot in him and wants him to really step into God's purposes for him. So I know you're going to enjoy him. Let's welcome Sean. It's an honor to be here. Um, the first thing I want to say is I think it's really important in the church to have a culture of, of honor. So what I want to say, first, raise your hand if, if you've been in some way connected to the Charismatic Renewal for 10 years. How about for 20 years? Okay, almost the same number of people. How about 30 years? How about 40 years? How about more than 40 years? Anyone? 50 years? Anyone? How many, how many years? Do you know? Do you know offhand? Over 40? This is amazing. This is amazing. And I feel like in talking with Peter, we were just talking about how much we want to honor you to say that your experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit made mine possible. That, that your fidelity to what God was asking you to do, to, to dive into the Spirit in the midst of sometimes the confusion or persecution when people don't understand a move of the Spirit, that you persevered through it and you're still here. And I'm sure all of you sadly can think of people that used to be here. And they're not here anymore, but somehow by the grace of God, you're here. And you're, you're still hungry. Praise God. I also, I also just want to take a moment uh, to honor um, Peter. Um, just just the, the grace, the privilege, the honor uh, to be asked to speak with him. But for someone that, that does this all the time on radio, on TV, writing books, he's, he's, he's pouring out his life in service of the gospel. But for someone like him to say, Sean, why don't, why don't you take the final talk? I mean, the humility of someone that's not trying to create a name for himself doesn't want to take the pride of place because it's Jesus that's on the throne. So I just want to, I just want to take a moment to honor Peter. Thank you for your service, for your humility. And let's just uh, begin with a prayer. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to be who you are, to be as big as you are. God, we're hungry. We're hungry for you. We're hungry for mission. We're hungry for answers to our questions of what our mission looks like, who it is that you're calling us to serve, to speak your word to. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit that this time, that during this talk, that we would each walk away with one word from you, but more than anything, that our hearts would burn. Our hearts would burn with your zeal for the lost. Set our hearts on fire. It would be a fire in our bones. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Let us go forth from this day and in this prayer time that we'll have this afternoon and let us be forever changed with your name Jesus, ever at the tip of our tongue. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, I want to I wanna prioritize um, prophecy. So all the things, especially even, even some of the leaders that we met with yesterday, just some really powerful prophecies came up. And, and really the role in, in trying to be close to the Holy Spirit really is saying, what is God doing? You identify it and you bless it. God, I, I have my plans, but I want to do what you want to do. I want to look for where you're moving, who you're touching, and I want to bless that, even if it's not quite what I had planned, right? Um, so, so I want to start with these words of prophecy because really if we can get the heart of God in these words of prophecy, the rest of, of the details or the teaching are, are far less important than that. But first, I feel like there's an anointing today to be renewed in carrying the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus. If you have the heart of Jesus, you will do the mission of Jesus. It's very simple. Um, I I love a a prophecy that that a young woman shared last night that I want to share with you because I, I feel like it's right on, and it was an image of, of an old, dark, and dusty attic just packed with junk, dark, lifeless. And then a window opens, and there's light, and, and the wind comes in, and, and the dust, the dust leaves, and everything is, is shiny and new, and the clutter is cleared out, and this, this place that was once dormant is now filled with life. That that's, that's what God wants to do in our lives every day is, is refresh us, clear out the clutter, and bring his glorious light. God says, behold, I'm doing something new. Another word that has been really strongly on me this uh, last couple days is, is the word that that when I look out, I see, I see sons and I see daughters taking their place at the table, rising up to take their place in the kingdom. It's time to take our place in the kingdom. I, I got a word a few days ago that I feel like is for us as well, is take my mantle of hope and power. You will need it for the mission I've called you to. We're a people of hope. And sometimes we give ourselves permission because of the circumstances of life to say, you know what, I have a reason to despair. But if, if you follow the same God that I do, you don't have permission to despair because God is big, God is in control. And our God is a God of providence and joy. God is saying, I'm bigger than you think. My plans for you are bigger than you think. I can do more in you and through you than you can imagine. Do you believe that? And, and again, just going off of this idea of the bigness of God, Isaiah 66.1, the heavens are my throne, the earth is my footstool. Isaiah 40, 12, 
Who has measured the waters of the sea in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with the width of his hand? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measuring bowl or weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? God is big. And he lives in you. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And he lives in you. Some of, sometimes I, you know, we speak in a language that says, God, just come down, come down. But in mission, really what we're saying is in baptism, we believe that the Trinity dwells in you. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit take up residence as a temple within you. So we're not actually asking Jesus to come in. We're asking to let him out. Jesus is crying out and he's saying, in your baptism, I commissioned you as priest, prophet, and king. I gave you a mission. Let me out. Let me accomplish it in you and through you. And that's, that's really the task today, is to, is to come back to that, remembering who we are and taking our place. Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. When was the last time you asked for a nation. It's time to think bigger, church. It's time to think bigger. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And we're going to pray today and ask God, what is my mission? And maybe it's small, maybe it's big, maybe it's to an individual, maybe it's to a group of people. But it's about asking. Give me the nations as my inheritance. Ask of me, I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. God is saying, I am giving you a mission field. Listen to me daily. Obey my words and commands, and I will take care of the rest. Right? It's, it goes back to Mother Teresa saying, I'm not called to be successful, but faithful. The measure of successful mission is fidelity. It's not the numbers and the stats, but is God spoke a word to me. Did I do what he said? Because it's not about seeing the fruit. Sometimes we plant the seeds. Sometimes we harvest the seed. It's not about seeing the fruit. It's about, was I faithful to what God asked me? And praise God that I was faithful. End of story, period. Our worth comes from being sons and daughters of a loving father not from the results of our work. I want to take a moment, and I think this is really the biggest thing that is on the heart of God right now in this time. If we can enter into this next moment that I'm going to talk about, then we've, we've got it. And that is, if you don't feel the ache of the heart of the Father for the lost, it's time to rekindle it. That's what God wants. Because what you love, you talk about. What you love, you spread. So it's not as much about what we do, but more about who we are. Overflowing into mission. So... I was, this is really, I was really convicted by this. Um, in the last couple days, for whatever reason, something changed. Because usually, 
usually, for example, if you're walking in an airport or a mall or something, there's a lot of people, like, you just see a horde of people. You just see a lot of people. But there's been a grace recently where God is saying, I don't want you to love the masses. I want you to love the one. So, and for whatever reason, I, I, I have three children, uh, almost one, almost three, and almost five. So my four-year-old Emma just, uh, you know, any father that has a daughter, right, is, wow, this is perfect time. Look at this beautiful child. Um, something about just, when I, when I see your faces, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of the face of my daughter. So we, we have a God that leaves the 99 to get the one. He leaves the 99 to get the one. And you could look at it from, say, a business perspective and say, Jesus, you're at 99%. What is the problem? But then he looks and he says, but that one is my daughter. That one is my son. And they matter to me. He leaves the 99 to get the one. Do you have a passion, not for the masses, but for the one? When you walk in an airport or in the mall, do you see faces of children of God? And St. Francis is so wonderful, always walking around, seeing the image of God everywhere that he went. And we need to rekindle that in ourselves. And the problem is that, that what happens is that we've learned, really for survival, we've learned to tune out the suffering of others. There is so much that we're bombarded with, with the shootings and the violence and the wars, and it weighs on us so heavily that we've given ourselves permission to stop feeling, to stop having compassion for the suffering of others because we're insulated from it. Because I can get up, I can go to work, and not think about the suffering of others because it doesn't affect my daily life. But then we come back to the heart of God and ask him what he thinks. Did did God ever say, you need to shut down your compassion when it's difficult? Did, Did God ever say that it's okay to not care because it's more comfortable for me. So what we need to do is enter into a place where we're in union with the heart of the Father, with the heart of Jesus. And I was thinking about with the feeding of the 5,000, there's a verse that says, as Jesus looked out and he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. Jesus didn't insulate himself from the human experience, from human emotion, from human suffering. He looked out, and I'd suggest to you that he was moved with compassion because he didn't see a crowd. He saw each one of them. He saw a child with a name. My children, Emma, Isaac, Dominic. 
He knew them intimately. He knew their suffering. So what I want to do right now is just close our eyes for a second. I want you to picture that crowd of 5,000. Let's repeat after me. Jesus, let me see what you saw. And let me feel what you felt in that moment. And we're just going to wait a minute and see what Jesus says to us. Okay, you can open your eyes. I just want to, um, if anyone was very powerfully impacted by that, like really like you just felt the heart of God, just raise your hand. Anyone? I just want to take like two or three testimonies of just what people felt, what they saw. Um, yeah, so I just felt Jesus um, just look at them and see um, like why his father sent him. Um, and he was just so moved, and I just like had to fall on my knees because he was just interceding on behalf of them to the Father. Yeah. Praise God. And, and anyone else was, was really strongly impacted? I'll go. Right behind me? Oh, there you go. Stay in this section. Um, so I have the privilege of being a missionary um, at Catholic Youth Summer Camp this summer. And um, the other night I had the privilege of just walking around during prayer ministry. Um, and I wasn't praying over people. I was just watching and interceding. And um, there was this really little boy. He was probably a sixth grader. He was like 10. And he was surrounded by very tall men around him, praying over him. And, and, and he's just so little, you know. And, and I was just struck by how much the Lord did to love on him at that moment, you know. And I'm thinking about what um, Peter was saying earlier about the galaxies and and. And just the, the magnitude of what God did for that one, you know. He, he, didn't, he didn't just think of, oh, yay, we've got 150 kids on retreat today. Or, oh, yay, we've got so many men and women in this room right now. He sees, he sees that one, that little one, and he did it all for him. Yeah. Praise God. And I'll take, I'll take one more. I think I saw someone over here. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk over here really quick. But I just, I just love, uh, I've just been so rocked lately about just asking God, open-ended questions and expecting him to answer them. Do you ever just, just think about how beautiful that is? Yesterday, I was looking out my hotel room window, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's the magnitude of God, and sometimes it's the little things. And I was thinking, God invented the color blue. <laughs> what? Just so I could enjoy it. Just because he delights in me and he knows I like blue. Praise God. Well, the scripture verse that came into my head was when Christ was questioning Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that three times. And um, Peter says, of course I love you. And he, what did he say? Feed my sheep. And that went on two more times. And I think that's what he's saying to all of us. You know, maybe it's just somebody we meet on the street or in the office or at home with our family. But, you know, feed my sheep. Praise God. Feed my sheep. That in Christ, it's not just that we 
we try to do what he did, but we, we let him do what he does in us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you minister to people, it's Jesus mysteriously ministering to someone. Here's a, a key part of the teaching is communication with God in prayer fosters relationship with God, which roots you in your identity and overflows into mission. Communication with God in prayer fosters relationship with God that roots you in your identity as a son or daughter of God, and it overflows into mission. So many times we get hung up on the practical questions of God. I don't know how to be bold. I don't know how to be fearless. That's not, that's not part of my DNA. I, I don't operate that way. But I would suggest to you that the question is not, well, you should not fear that maybe you can't be bold enough. You should not fear that you don't have what it takes to evangelize. You should not fear that you don't know enough to evangelize. The one thing you should fear is lack of daily prayer. You're begging God for a mission, but you're not praying. That's the first domino, is communication with God in prayer leads to relationship, leads to identity, leads to mission. If you cut off the prayer, there is no mission because we don't have our marching orders. Prayer. We're in a battle. Your soul, the soul of your spouse, your children are on the line. And God has a plan for you, a plan for your good, a future of of hope. And Satan has a plan for you too, a plan of despair, of believing the lies that he speaks, that you cannot engage in mission because of X, Y, or Z. John 8, 44 says, The devil is the liar and a father of lies. The word Satan in Greek means accuser. One of Satan's biggest tactics is to feed you lies. And then because the way that humans are made, our mind sees a good, and then our will goes after it. But if he can get our mind to be confused, then our will can't go, right? So, so he operates in that, in that vein. I, I love this phrase so much, and I know that Satan hates it when I say it, so I say it often. And that is, that is, Satan is loud because he's weak. You ever notice when someone's losing an argument, they stop making arguments and they just yell. (laughs) Satan is loud because he's weak. His one tool is deception. Because if he can get your mind taken off of the face of Christ just long enough to where you forget who you are, he's won the battle. All he can do is distract and take your attention away long enough to forget who you are, to forget who your father is and forget what your mission is. 
Satan is loud because he's weak. I want to talk briefly about uh, renewal of the mind, because I think it's really important. Because if we're saying that prayer is the beginning of mission, then we have to really build a reverence for the Word of God that leads to renewal of our minds. So I just want to talk a little bit about reverence for the Word of God, because I think it is so important. I think we underestimate the extent to which our minds can be conformed to Christ. We underestimate the extent to which we can think like Jesus. Um, my favorite demonstration of this is 1 Corinthians 2.16. that says, hear this, hear this, this is important. It says, we have the mind of Christ. We're not trying to think like Christ. We have the mind of Christ. In our baptism, we're partakers of divine nature, where all of a sudden, we can use the mind of Christ to see things from heaven's perspective. And that changes how we live our life. Isaiah 55, 11. My word shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I will and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks, things happen. God says, let there be light. There's light. When God speaks to you in prayer, a word of hope, that hope is made present in the speaking of the word because God's word has power. But we don't reverence it. We don't reverence the words that he speaks that he speaks, so that when he gives us a mission, we don't reverence what he speaks, so our lives don't center around it. We don't build our life on it, because at some level we don't believe it, or we rationalize it away. Do we have a reverence for the word of God? And there's, there's several verses uh, that I love. I'll run through really, really quickly for the sake of time, but I think it's so important to root ourselves in this. Psalm 29. Man, if you read this and you don't have a reverence for the word of God, we got issues. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is heard over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, all cry glory. All cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You have a God who speaks and forests are stripped bare. Praise you, Jesus. You are glorious. Oh, God, we repent. We repent for forgetting about your glory. We repent for not reverencing your word, for making excuses. 
Mission is simple, but it's not easy. It requires stepping out of our comfort zone. It requires us to take the opinions of others off of the throne of our hearts. I'll say that again. It requires us to stop worshiping the opinions of others. That's a big one. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's what the Bible says. The formula for mission is very simple, related to what I went over before. You listen to God, you obey God, and then you're amazed by him. If, if you can live your life in a state of constant amazement of God, then, then you've completed half your mission. Because so much of mission has to do with expectation. We try to work with our own power because we don't have an expectation that God's going to show up. We listen to God, we obey God, and we live a life of constant awe and amazement. When was the last time you were in awe of Jesus? God wants to renew that right now, today. Jesus, we are in awe of you. And I want to make, make this point, a small point about obedience. I, I was giving a talk for a University of Michigan uh, student parish, St. Mary's, had a retreat, and they asked me to speak. And I love it. I love it because, you know, I don't speak that often, maybe five, six times a year. But they said, we saw you on the Renewal Ministry speaker list, and we chose you because you're, you're a normal guy. Like, like you're so normal, like, like you work at a bank and you have a family and you're like, basically what they were saying was like, you look like the least qualified person on the list. And I was like, praise God, I can work with that. You know, they, they want to know how to, how to live the faith, you know, in the world. And, um, but God worked through it. And as I was praying, one thing that came very strongly was, I want you to pray with them individually. But, you know, I went through my time and you try to keep the schedule. There just wasn't time for prayer ministry. So I said, to the leader, they had small groups after that uh, with some small group questions. And I said, if it's possible, I'd like you to, to maybe open up. If anyone wants to pray with me, then we can do that. So, so graciously, they said, if anyone wants to, you know, skip small group and come to be prayed with, that would be fine. So there were about 50 people at the retreat. Only about six people wanted to be prayed with. But that was enough for God. There weren't a whole lot of people in the upper room, as, as I recall. <laughs> so six people, and one after one, not only me praying, but everyone praying and speaking words of prophecy into people. This, this one girl came up, and she said, I'm struggling with, I just feel shame for something I've done. And we prayed, and at the end, the shame was gone. We prayed. One girl was anxious about her vocation, whether she should marry her fiancé. Anybody in that issue here, we can pray about that, but... Um, but at the end, she was filled with joy. And someone was like anxious about, maybe I'm called the priesthood, but I don't think I want to be a priest. And, and we prayed with him. And I prayed, God, just fill his heart with fire. And he came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes. And he said, he said, when you prayed that, I felt fire in my heart. It was like, it was like a deer in the headlights. But in that small group, and that small group told me later, they said those six people they had basically skipped all of small group and were like halfway into lunch. And when they walked into the lunchroom, 
everyone was like, what is going on? Like, y'all, like, they're all, like, red because they were, like, crying. And they're like, something wrong? Can we help you? And they're like, we just had this amazing experience. Like, God showed up, and, you know, God wants to, God wants to meet you where you are. He wants to speak to you. And, and just, they said it was a catalyst that started something. All because of a simple word from God that said, I, I want you to pray with them. And I said, okay, it, not in the schedule, but we'll see what we can do. And God, God did a miracle with that. Here's a, a key point. We talk a lot about faith. About God just increase my faith for miracles, for healings, for, for whatever it may be. But this, this phrase really rocked my world when I heard it. And that is, our faith is not in our own faith. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. If you can shift your focus from saying, God, just build up my faith, build up my faith. I want to have more faith so I can have more power. I need faith. I need faith. I need faith. And all of a sudden, our prayer for faith is somehow self-referential. It's self-focused. But if our faith is in his faithfulness, it changes the whole equation to where you can, you can minister, you can speak, you can pray with people and know that, that God is faithful. He's going to show up because he loves his children and not because you have met, you checked all the boxes for him to show up. There's two things I want to go over, um, and hopefully we can, we can get through them. I'll do a sort of a Notes version of some of it. But I want to talk about Luke 1, Zechariah. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Quite a response of faith. <laughs> the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and un- unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their time. What I want you to focus on on this is very important is that Zechariah, in his response, said things that were factual. He quoted the circumstances of his life to tell an angel that God's promise was unrealistic. When was the last time you went to God and you said, because of the circumstances of my life, the word that you spoke, the promise on my life, the calling on my life is invalid. Don't let the circumstances of your life get in the way of the promise of God. We have a new reality as Christians 
We have access to the circumstances of heaven. We can bring the circumstances of heaven to bear in a situation that doesn't make sense for it to work out. And I love it. It's a popular saying, but I love it. And it says, um, don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. You know, and, and, and I love it. Don't, don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. Maybe, maybe today's the day when we say, God is bigger than my circumstances. His promise and his power are bigger than my circumstances. Um, I was, I grew up Catholic, but I had a, a big conversion in high school at a Steubenville South Youth Conference. And um, really growing up, a, a big part of the struggle was that my father passed away when I was three years old. Uh, he was a hemophiliac and contracted HIV in a blood transfusion. And um, I grew up with an insecurity, uh, a deep insecurity. And I filled the gap with perfectionism because I knew that if I did something well, I would be affirmed for it, that I could, I could earn the affection of others by my actions. And God did, God did a major healing uh, for me in that moment at Steubenville South and praise God for that. And then I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville, and then I was a seminarian for two years, and then I left the seminary, and then I got married, and then I had three kids, and then I started working at a bank full-time with clients calling me on Saturdays and Sundays because they need a pre-approval by 1 p.m. or they're not going to get the house. <laughs> and I said, I said, in my heart, I was saying, God, the, the circumstances of my life, they, they just don't allow the same commitment to you that I used to have. I, I, I say that during this time, I, I attended the First United Church of Netflix. <laughs> I was very faithful, very faithful to that. But there's still something inside me, and I started going to the Encounter School of Ministry in Brighton, Michigan, and the first quarter on renewal of the mind, there was all this renewal related to sonship, and the story of the prodigal son really spoke to me, where, where the older brother, after the prodigal son comes home and they throw a party, and the older brother says to the father, I've slaved away for years. I never disobeyed you. Where's my party? And the father says, my son, did you not know that all I have is yours? He was living in the father's house, but he forgot that he was a son. He forgot that he had access to everything that the father had. And that's, that's where I was, and, and that's where God brought me out of it. And I had a very uh, powerful experience in, in prayer. We prayed for renewal of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I fell back, and I, I rested in the Spirit. And it was so peaceful, and I felt... I felt this crunching in my stomach and just, just the heart of God come upon me in, in a different way. Because I, I think in high school and sometimes in college, I, I wanted the gifts of God so that I would get attention. I wanted, I wanted to be cool. But something had shifted where I wanted the power of God to speak to his children. And, and this phrase kept repeating in my heart, and it was, it was God. It was about an, an hour or two. I was repeating this. God, I need more because they need more. 
I need more of you because they need more of you. I need your power. I need your words. The task is daunting, and I don't know if I have what it takes. They, they need you. They don't need me. They need you. And then the, the second part of that, that vision, I was, has a vision of falling back into a swimming pool, and the swimming pool became a river, and then it became an ocean. And then I was, I was falling under, under the waves, under the water, surrounded by water on all sides, but I could, I could breathe. It was pretty nice water. You could breathe under there. And, um, and I felt this, just this immense ocean around me, and God said, how much do you want? How much do you want? Because all of a sudden, the storehouses of heaven were open to me because I was asking for the right reasons. Because I love the quote from Billy Graham. He said, do not ask for power you don't intend to use. He said, God only gives the grace to die well to those who are dying. He only gives the grace for mission to those that are going on mission. Don't ask for power if you don't intend to use it. And God was, was really working in me to, to purify that um, and just, just opening up doors uh, that you wouldn't believe, just, just opportunities to, to speak his name. And it overflowed that night. I went and I spoke words of prophecy to my wife when I got home, and I, I skipped this part, but it was basically five hours, and I couldn't, I couldn't get up. I tried to get up, but I couldn't get up, so they had to get a wheelchair and bring me to my car, and a friend drove me home. Another friend drove my car home, and I walked in, and my friends are carrying me in, and my wife Lex is like, what is happening here? And I spoke words to her of truth. I said, you couldn't be at the party, but God brought the party to you. And that God sees the thousand ways that you're pouring yourself out in service to our family, to our children, all those behind-the-scenes tasks that you think no one notices. God said, I see them. I see them. And what you're doing has value. You're speaking love and truth and virtue into your children, and I see all of it, and I have a mission for you. And she ended up giving a a retreat for for, uh, young mothers. And it overflowed into my, my daughter. I love, I pray with my daughter every night. And we say, God, God, what do you want to say to us? And she just gets the most amazing things. One, one night she said, God said, listen to my heart to hear my voice. It's like, Emma, what, what did, you, would you hear that somewhere? Where did you get that? Just amazing things. And you see transformation in your family. The last thing I want to talk about, I'm going to go just probably two minutes over, but I, want to, I think it's important, and that is there's a, there's a story in Joshua 4. Actually, before I go to that, I want to say very briefly, after Zechariah was silent for nine months, and I know a lot of you are praying right now, your husband would experience that grace of Zechariah. Lord, just for one day, I'm just asking for one day if, you know, but when he opened his mouth, when he opened his mouth again, it was words of faith that came out. All of a sudden, his words matched the words of the angel. He said he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, you, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. The reason that God made him be silent was because his lack of faith coming out of his mouth had the potential to abort the plan of God. John the Baptist, not coming into existence, prepare the way for Jesus. So there are big stakes on the line. Do not let lack of faith 
come out of your lips. If God says it, believe it and speak it. And the last thing is, is Joshua 4. So they're crossing the Jordan. They've been in the desert for 40 years, and the, crossing the Jordan is one of their last obstacles to get to the promised land. And they cross. They bring uh, the Ark of the Covenant. The priests carry it across the Jordan. And it's the story. It says, when the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan I'm sorry, actually, one, one verse before that. There we go. Command the priest who bear the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So basically, they cross it, and God stops the water, and all of the children of Israel cross on dry land. And he said, Joshua said to the people of Israel, when your children... Um, Sorry, I'm going to go back a step. So after this happened, there were 12 stones. And Joshua said, put these 12 stones here, right? Put them in this place. And this is what he said about the stones. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what did these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord God forever. He says, set up these stones as a memorial. Tell your children about it. In Judges 2, Joshua dies, and it says, after that, the whole generation had also been gathered to their fathers. Another generation rose up who did not know the, know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. So God said, Remember what I did. Tell your children. One generation later, no one knew what God had done. And, and I think for me, a big thrust into mission, for me, has to do with having a reverence and an honor and appreciation for those hinge moments of my life where God entered in. To be grateful for them. I, and the best way for me to describe it and, and I'll close with this. Uh, my grandmother passed away in April, and we were very close, uh, probably closer to her than to my own mother. Just, she exuded the unconditional love of God the Father to me. And uh, I went to Texas to um, help clean out her house for, you know, an estate sale. And, you know, things were starting to get a little bit sparse, but I had another moment where I could walk into that house that they, my entire life, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas has been at this house. And as I walked through the rooms of the house, I saw this, this was the chair where I used to sit on her lap in the morning. And I'd go upstairs and I'd see, I would see the bed where I used to sleep, where she would sit next to me and read stories. And I'd go into the living room and this is where we watched movies and stayed up all night, you know, eating candy. You know, just, and, and this, this is the, the outside of her house where I would run around and play for hours in the hot Texas sun. And in that moment, literally in that moment, I felt like God was saying, you know how tangible these memories are? They're so deep in your bones. They're part of who you are. And God is saying, I want your memories of what I've done for you 
to be as real and as tangible as that house. That you have a house that you can walk into of your history with God and you say, that, that is where God changed my life. That's where I was different at that moment. I was different at that moment than I was before. God wants to take you back to those moments and unleash the power of your testimony. It's so common to say, oh, tell me about your like, walk with Jesus. Well, you know, I've, well, I've, always, I've always been in the church and really not much to it, right? Like, you don't have to overdose on cocaine to have a, a story. Your testimony unlocks the power of God because when you remember it and when you speak it, you're saying, God did this for me, and guess what? That means he can do it again. So what I want to do, and you're going to have, you're going to go to lunch, and then when you come back during your prayer time, I want you to think about this. And let's do it just for 20 seconds right now to get it started, to see what I'm talking about. Let's just close our eyes and say, repeat after me, Jesus. Bring to mind right now all of my history with you. I'm going to give you 20 seconds to just remember and be grateful. And during your prayer time later, I'd encourage you after lunch to ask God that question. Bring to mind every moment. Let me live here. Let me feel what it felt like. Let me, let me hear the sounds. See what it was like to... Not to build a camp there and say that God can't do that. That was something in the past. But to say, God can do it again. He can do it again. And my last point, it's easy in mission that you want to try to be like other people in mission. But when you try on those shoes, they don't fit. I'm not Peter Herbeck. I'm never going to be Peter Herbeck. But I can be Sean. In the kingdom of God, every child has their own shoes. You don't have to walk in someone else's anointing because God has put something on you, on your story, on your history, on your personality, that only you can reach certain people that Peter Herbeck can never reach and I can never reach. Don't walk in someone else's anointing. Don't spend time telling God, if I was just like that, then, then I'd, I'd serve you and I'd evangelize for you. God wants to work through you the way you are, uniquely the way he created you. God has a mission that's custom made for you. Listen to what he says. Obey what he says. And be amazed by what he does through you. Amen?